0: stay hungry, stay foolish.
1: So now on the innovation show, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Brooks Gibbs. Brooks is an award winning social skills educator who teaches students, parents and teachers how to build emotional resilience and live by the golden rule. Over 2,500 schools have hired him to speak, allowing him to reach 2 million students face-to-face. His training videos have been seen by more than 100 million people, and his training program raised them strong and Paris students to make friends and manage enemies. Welcome to the show, Brooks. Thanks, Aidan. So honored to be here. It's great to have you on the show. And to give context for our audience, we talk on this show all the time about the challenges facing society in the future. We often talk about the knock-on effects of technology you do a lot of work on how social media bullying for example or cyber bullying takes place but most importantly how we can bri- build resilience in our children
0: yes I do I mean I think that's the best way to protect them we cannot make the world a nice place Aristotle said twenty four hundred years ago one thing government can never do is make people moral and so we have to ask ourselves well how am I going to How am I going to help my child not be so emotionally damaged by the mean words and actions of others if I can't always be there and I can't insist that people are nice to them? Even if I spend gobs of money sending them to a high-level private school, if you will, uh, they're they're still going to have problem people in their lives. So the best thing I can do is empower my child with the social skills that he or she needs to not only make friends so they're not lonely, But manage enemies so they're not easily annoyed uh, by the punks that are an inevitable part of growing up.
1: Yeah, and you know what really resonated, Brooks, when I saw your work was we grow up with that child inside us. Like that doesn't go away for a lot of people. We don't manage that child and we bring it into our adult life. When I saw your work, the, the analogy of walking into a kitchen and seeing a sink overflowing, and what do you do? Do you pick up a mop or do you turn off the sink? That really came to mind. And what you're doing is you're turning off the sink. You're stopping this problem at source.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny you use that because this morning I've dealt in my house with a leak from a sink that we actually <laughs> moved. And, and the problem is it's in concrete. And so I had to uh, take personal responsibility, not blame it on other people, right? I, I can't blame it on God or the government or my... Uh, contractor that was a really nice guy but didn't know what he was doing when it came to plumbing work. You know, so I I ripped it up. I called a licensed contractor and a licensed plumber and I took responsibility. Of course I shut off the water at the main line and uh, I'm dealing it with myself and a lot of parents need to do that. They need to stop shifting blame on the principal or the teachers or the laws that are yet to be passed and just say, you know what, this is my child, I'll take responsibility to deal with this problem. Uh, another illustration is I have a pool. Um, I, and I could either uh, put a fence around it to keep my child who cannot swim uh, you know, from entering the pool, or I could teach him how to swim. And then it'll never be a problem, even if he actually stumbles through the gate. So it's very important for us to take personal responsibility for our children and to educate them with social skills as the school really primarily focuses on on, uh, academic skills.
1: It's 18 years since the Columbine shooting. The government is taking up a mop, and they're doing their best. But as you say, the the challenge and the opportunity for us as parents is actually to give our children the coping skills to deal with them themselves. And it would be great if you gave us a little bit of context on that.
0: Yeah, so I'm from Littleton, Colorado, so my friends went to that Columbine school where it got shot up. One of my closest friends, uh, his name is Craig Scott, his sister died, was the first one killed, and he saw two of his friends, Matthew Kector and Isaiah Scholes, uh, shot pure point blank in the head right in front of him. And and, uh, he, over the last 18 years, has uh, come out remarkably resilient and with an amazing message of overcoming challenges. Uh, But when I was there in Littleton and I saw the Lawyers get together with the counselors, get together, led by the politicians who called the meeting, and you had this big round table with all these smart people. I saw this incredible tension across the table. On one hand, the lawyers were saying, we need to uh, you know, uh, help children who feel like victims so they don't kill themselves and kill others in retaliation. So the best way we can do that is ensure that they're not picked on in the first place, you know, so we'll pass anti-bully laws and make sure that there's anonymous uh, reporting boxes and do everything we can to create a kind uh, where no child goes to school feeling rejected um, or afraid. Um, and so the line between objective harm, which is usually when someone beats you with a stickers down, and subjective harm, which is the emotional harm that is caused by words, you know that that line immediately was blurred by the by the attorneys. Um, where before 1999, in at least in American culture, it was very clear there, it's, there's a huge difference between someone calling you a name and someone hitting you with bat. Uh, there's a massive difference. In fact, the name calling is totally protected uh, by the First Amendment to the Constitution in this re, you know uh, this constitutional republic democracy that we live in. But a bat is not. That's behavior is not protected because that could cause real objective harm and take away your liberties. So it was really, I believe, historically speaking, in American culture, it was the Columbine shooting and the desire to help victims um, that caused our, our um, kind of legal system to get super gray area between things that hurt my feelings and things that hurt my body. And because that confusion happened, Uh, it was out of good intentions that we passed laws to protect kids from their feelings getting hurt, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, it's important also note that the counselors have been against this from the beginning. The counselors on the other side of the table were saying, that's stupid. You can't, you can't get a kid in trouble for saying he doesn't, he doesn't like you because you're gay or whatever. Um, I mean, I know it's not, not, not right, but isn't it their constitutional right? And not only that, but if you do get the kid in trouble for calling another kid a name, Won't that make the target a bigger target? You know, the aggressor being in trouble is now uh, gonna feel victimized himself and his desire to retaliate even greater. Um, You know, what they fail to realize is that, uh, that the best way to help victims is to empower victims with emotional resilience so they're not disturbed in the first place when someone calls them a name. So since we're an education institution, why don't we focus all of our energies on educating children how to be emotionally resilient and ed- educating them how to be kind to everyone, even the people that are mean to them. And through that education component, then we will solve the problem. Uh, but if you get an attorney and a counselor in a boxing ring together, the attorney will always win because science has to submit to law even if the laws are irrational. So 18 years later, we have laws in every single state We have programs in every single school. We have every single school on lockdown with a resource officer there uh, who has a gun on his hip. And we have not solved the problem. We've only increased the problem. And um, we need to go back to the drawing board and say maybe we should have listened to those counselors in the first place.
1: Yeah, and it totally makes sense. And you know what I I love what you do is you you give examples of this. So you show kids situational examples of where they may be bullied. And then you, you show them how to disarm the bully and, and you do this. And, and the bully, in a, in a way, ends up totally disarmed and ends up kind of cannot do anything to hurt the, the victim.
0: Yeah. And if you really ask that bully, let's just say, hey, are you a bully? They'll say, I'm not a bully. And you'll say, well, why in the world are you saying these mean things? Why are you doing these mean things? Oh, that's because he did this to me and she did this to me. Oh, so you're like a victim, huh? Yeah, I'm a victim. See, all bullying behavior comes from a victim mentality. And in fact, ramp that up, the worst acts of violence ever on planet Earth are not committed by perpetrators, they're committed by victims. You know, perpetrators are victims. In other words, they identify as victims and they have reason for their aggression. And that's why when I address with schools the victimization mentality, I'm dealing both with the one who feels like a victim and the one that we view as a bully who also feels like a victim. So you're talking about the game Uh, where there's an aggressor or bully, as you call them, Uh, that's fine. They're mean to me. They call me an idiot. Uh, This one has had over 150 million views in 20 different languages. It's the one probably that you saw. It's a black and white video. And it's so awesome, man, because they're so mean to me. They say the meanest things, and I play twice. The first time, I get upset. Uh, The second time, I don't get upset. And I compare the two, and there's such a dramatic difference that is demonstrative, and it really gets the point across. It's easy to shut up somebody who's being mean to you, simply by not getting upset, not giving their words power, and treating them like a friend, it really freaks them out.
1: You know, Brooks, that's one thing, and when I reached out to you first, I said this, so many people who listen to the show are internal business entrepreneurs, for example, or they're trying to change their company, or they're mavericks within their company, they know their own system. And if you take this as an analogy for, you know, dealing with a complex problem like the way the governments are with with shootings and with bullying in schools versus actually a simple solution by dealing with it at the source. The, The same things are happening in corporations all over the world. People are getting bullied. You know, I played professional sports. I saw professional players being bullied on the pitch. It happened all the time. And there was no training of how to deal with that. We're never trained how to deal with that. And, you know, parents can say, wise words here and there but what you're doing this is why I think your work is so important what you're doing is giving people the tools to deal with it in the situation live yes you
0: know part of the victimization mentality is um, low frustration tolerance that's what the psychologists call it that means you're easily irritable and um, gosh if you if if you are easily irritable you're gonna be explosive uh, guess what, man? When you're working in corporate America and you've got people afraid of losing their jobs and they're sort of on the defensive and uh, also on the offensive, on the attack, so to speak, uh, you need to learn how to raise your frustration tolerance. Or let's say you have an irate customer and you, want not, you don't want it to escalate. You want it to de-escalate. Uh, there are some very simple ways to build up your frustration tolerance so that you're not triggered. Um, and then to respond to them in such a way that honors their humanity, it really bypasses their behavior and it just honors their humanity. Uh, and This is in all the greatest uh, literature on uh, corporate professionalism. For example, one of the great classic books, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Carnegie talks a lot about um, how devastating it is when we criticize people and how that triggers them to be on the defensive and how we get easily angered and upset when our expectations are super high. Uh, we need to lower our expectations, um, so the fall is not so hard when people let us down. So, yeah, I'm with you. This is not bullying, or aggression in general, and that's all bullying is. It's a study of aggression or dominance behavior. It, it really is not a school problem. It's a human nature problem that finds itself in every college, in every workplace. Half of all marriages in America break up in divorce because of the same problem. If I'm easily irritable, easily frustrated by my spouse, they just irk me, and I don't have the emotional competency or the control to watch out how I respond, I'm gonna be unlivable. You know, you're not gonna wanna live with me, it's gonna be very difficult to keep the marriage together. So these type of skills, and I'm happy to go in deeper psychologically and how we can increase our emotional resilience, but uh, it's something everyone needs to commit to, uh, it's certainly something I'm committed to learning and teaching the rest of my life.
1: I love it, man. And, and you know, there's a, there's a Gandhi quote that nobody can hurt me without my permission. And that really jumped to yeah. my mind when I was watching your work. And yeah. nobody is doing something to you. They're doing something for their own motivations. And it's how you react to what they're doing is the key to it all.
0: You're absolutely right. The very first step to understanding how emotional resilience works, which is mental toughness, it's that tough skin um, where you're not giving people power to evoke out of you a negative reaction. The first step is to understand, okay, who exactly makes me mad? You know, if I think they make me mad or what they did make me makes me mad or what they said triggers anger out of me, if I believe that, then I'll never understand resilience. Uh, rational motive behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, the last 60, 70 years of uh, social-related psychology... It has taught us that our emotions work according to an ABC pattern. A, there's an activating event, something that we would probably perceive negative. B, we have a belief system about that event. And C, there's a consequence emotionally that takes place based on our belief system. But our, our emotional consequence happens almost simultaneously that the activating event happened. We think A creates C. And, and, and because it's lightning fast, he cut me off the road and I flew out an F-bomb or a cuss word or whatever. You know, so he made me cuss or he made me angry. Well, that's not true. Uh, all psychology has learned that B, our belief system about people cutting us off the road, our belief system about what they do or say, whatever our belief system is, that will determine are negative or positive emotional consequence. So A, never, it may contribute to C, but it's never the cause of C. B, our belief system is always the cause of C, which is good, because if, if I'm the one that disturbs myself through my thinking and my expectations of that person, then I'm the one that can cure myself to no longer be irritable. Uh, so it's self-work, it's not changing them, it's changing my perception of what they do and say.
1: The one thing to call out, I suppose, is this isn't a fault of parents. I mean, this this is something that parents just don't know, you know, and that's why I thought it was so important to reach out to you and share the work you're doing. And even those beliefs, belief systems is to give the parents the tools to actually build those belief systems with children.
0: Yes, I, I always say, you know, I ask parents the same questions. They say, A or B, do we want our children to be easily upset by words or insults or not easily upset by words or insults? They always say B, we want them to be resilient, not upset. A or B, do we want them to depend on others to solve their social problems or B, learn to solve their social problems on their own? Every parent says B. And I ask a couple more, Uh, do we want our children to fly off the handle in anger if they're pushed or shoved and, and there's no pain that's caused? Or B, kind of brush off a push or a shove that doesn't cause pain. And, and everyone says, B B B. So I say, you know, you want what I want and I want what you want. We all want the same for our kids. We want them to not get upset by words. We want them to not be emotionally wounded by words or actions. We want them to be resilient. Uh, and we know resilience is by being exposed to adversity, not protected from adversity. So I've, out of all the parents I've spoken to, I've never met one parent who wanted the wrong things for their child. But as they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So I start asking them, what are you doing or saying to your child when they have the siblings arguing or they've got a school aggressor that's driving them crazy and making them cry every night? How are you responding? And we have to ask ourselves, is it contributing to their vulnerabilities? In other words, is it creating learned helplessness? Is it creating entitlement where they expect teachers to protect them? Or are what we doing actually building up what we want, which is emotional resilience and learning social skills to manage the problem on their own. And, and so it's really questioning our approach, not blaming parents, but asking parents to say, let's rethink how we're responding uh, to our kids and how we're asking them to respond to their
1: enemies. There's one thing that really dawned on me there was how do we react as parents? And, you know, when I hear of an event in the schoolyard for my children, it triggers in me, me as a child in the schoolyard, you know, and this is what I was saying that child never really goes away. Like I've had bullying incidents like you have and they, you, because you did I didn't have the tools, how to deal with them in the instance I did. I don't know how to pass on any knowledge cause I have none to pass on. And your reaction is usually protective, your protection, you know, you want to protect your child and sometimes inside your, your amygdala goes off and you start getting angry and you want to actually fight for your child, but it's totally the wrong reaction. Yes.
0: And if you study emotional intelligence, um, there's some great literature on it, and it's definitely the future of psychology, which is known as positive psychology. They say the very first um, emotional competency is learning to manage those impulsive reactions that the amygdala fires in the limbic system, the fight, flight, or freeze instincts, uh, You know those reactionary instincts. And then the more intelligent emotionally you are, You can start having impulse control, learning to be self-motivated, to stay out of debt, save money, uh, work out, uh, deny yourself small pleasures for long-term gain. The emotional intelligence gets more and more complex uh, with more and more self-control, but the very base, the very first block, so to speak, in the building blocks of emotional resilience is learning to control that darn limbic system. Um, And... And there is a way to control it. Um, be, you, I call it being smarter than your emotions. Albert Ellis, who is the founder of Rational Motive Behavioral Therapy, says usually your first reaction is uh, pretty rational. Oh, man, I wish this didn't happen. Like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. They're being so mean. Or this event happened. is like, oh, stink. He says where we get into trouble is that second emotion, that where we, we ca- catastrophize. They have no right saying that. They are a horrible person. They, sh- you know, uh, oh, great, my reputation's ruined or, 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 or a bad event happens. And we say, oh, great, I'm done. This is the end of my career. This is going to cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever. It's that irrational thinking that stems after our initial reaction that we have to watch out for. There's an old saying that says, the battle's won before it's fought in the preparation phase. And so the best preventative measures are to prepare yourself for difficult things. Right now, I'm remodeling a home, and it's a money pit at this point. but <laughs> I've been doing some exercises with my wife, and we woke up this morning and realized we have a leak under concrete, and now I'm going to have to jack it all up or whatever. Uh, I didn't lo- she, she quivered in the lip, and tears were coming out. And I, <laughs> but I, you know, I was proud of myself. Uh, you know, I, I have money. Um, so I didn't intend to spend the money on this. Um, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and solve the problem and refuse to freak out, and I'm going to learn things along the way. Uh, and and, and that, this is the last thing I want to say about this. is like, If we can view jerks or all-around adverse uh, events, adverse people or adverse events, if we can view these things as not catastrophic, Not even a bummer, but actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity for something. And then our job as mentally healthy people is is to find the upside to every letdown. And we can discipline ourselves to find the upside to letdown. I'm going to learn something from this. Uh, Oh, this is going to be an opportunity for me to use my skills and just see how emotionally resilient I am or I'm not. Uh, or, wow, this tra- I'm traumatized by this right now, but you know what? It's going to help me relate to other people who are traumatized in similar ways. So I'm actually increasing my value to the world in which I live. When we see the upside to letdowns and you train your brain to look for the good and the bad, then we're like Dr. Martin Luther King. He says, you know, there's enough good in the worst of us. When we focus on it, we'll be less likely to hate our enemy. That's an emotional resilient person.
1: And it's also the idea of the growth mindset where you don't get beaten down. And as you said, you learn from everything. Like I tell my kids, there's no such thing as a as a mistake, unless you don't learn from it. And it's that, whole, and, and you know, your work is so complementary to that kind of mindset and builds that mindset in p- people. There's another thing I'd love to talk about, which is, you know, we've heard about snowflake generation snowflake, where there's a generation of workers who can't deal with criticism from their employers where they get criticism and they absolutely melt under the criticism They can't take it. They're jumping from job to job looking for something that doesn't exist. And for me, after studying your work, this is part of that problem. They're not actually resilient enough to deal with the real world.
0: I agree, it's uh, it's very sad, they're very ill prepared. I have a little test, it's called an emotional resilience test. Anyone can download it for free on my website, brooksgibbs.com. And I tell parents, give this to your students and to your kiddos, you know, and then also take it yourself. And what you'll find is that oftentimes your child struggles in the very same areas that you do. And in one of those areas, and there's only 10 items uh, that you're tested on, but one of those specific social-related emotional resilience areas um, are are doing, you know, uh, taking criticism. And, And one of the questions is, I appreciate criticism if it helps me improve. And so many students today that take that test score very low, and and that's unfortunate. Uh, We have to learn, we have to know that we're not perfect, number one. We have flaws. Uh, Perfectionists are, I think, the most miserable people on the planet because they have high expectation of perfection and they don't want to admit their, their failures. Uh, and when they realize that they fail, they're in a perpetual state of disappointment in themselves. And they don't want others to point out their mistakes uh, because that just reinforces uh, their insecurities. So we have to stop this immediately, you know, as, as young as possible. Not let our children develop a perfectionistic mindset because they will be miserable And they will also project perfection on others. And so others will constantly disappoint them because they had high expectations of others. Criticism is the only way we improve. There's value in people's criticism. Just like in humor, when someone's making a joke about a flaw of yours, there's probably some truth in it. That's what makes it funny. They're exaggerating it. You're so fat, you sat on Skittles and popped out a rainbow. Okay, that's (laughs) an exaggeration. But it is true. You know, I've got a belly or whatever. And so, well you know, do I, do I want to change it? Then I need to be able to take a criticism, take and make a joke about myself, uh, or own it. Hey man, I know I'm fat. I don't have to wear a sweater in the winter. I prefer warm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like a human crock pot. Come get a warm <laughs> hug, you know, and just realize, yeah, people saw your flaw. They pointed it out and no need to get upset. Yeah we do have a, a generation of emotional snowflakes that when adversity or criticism or any negative event happens, they seem to break down and melt. Uh, this is why suicides are up. Uh, antidepressant medications are up. So what's the solution? I kind of uh, dice, slice and dice it up this way. If you're miserable emotionally, you have negative one thinking patterns. The negative one thinking patterns, I'll give a color to it. It's red hot. And there's extreme words associated with it. It's always, it's never, it's awful, it's catastrophic, it's it's uh, it's you must. There's high expectations. You must do this. Uh, so we need to move any extreme vocabulary to more of a zero or neutral or cool blue uh, thought process, which honors the good and the bad and everything. Yeah, I do have this flaw. Uh, thank you for the criticism. That's true. And then if you really want to make it. G- Green or a growth thought or growth mindset. As we're speaking, find the 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 good in it. Thank you so much for your criticism. Oh my gosh, I'm going to take every bit that's worth worth you know value to me, and I'm going to leverage it for psychological growth. I couldn't thank you enough uh, for 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 the criticism. I'm going to get better, and I'm committed to get, get better. So it's taking people who have negative one red hot thoughts and getting them cooled off towards the green plus one positive thinking, that's how we cure people of the snowflake emotional marshmallow mentality.
1: I was thinking there when you were talking about the people and their expectations and their perfectionism, that social media plays a huge part in that. And, you know, we we haven't really seen the full impact of that, you know, the Instagram, Instagram and Snapchat generation. What's your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think that it is a wonderful tool, as you know. I mean, I make a living off of Facebook, goodness gracious, you know, so I'm thankful for it. Um, It's a wonderful tool, but it it really just magnifies communication. It magnifies insecurities if there are some. It just uh, magnifies what's there. Um, I do think that there's good um uh, research out there right now th- showing how uh, excessive attention to screen time creates anhedonia, which is an over uh, usage of the dopamine threshold where simple pleasures in life like watching a sunset or you know uh, wrestling with your kiddos or playing fetch with your dog, all that is no longer entertaining uh, because you've been so overamped amped uh, in your pleasure centers. Uh, so I do think there's some problems with the extended amount and the hyper-entertainment value that it gives. Uh, but for the kids that are killing themselves or going to school in retaliation and killing others, um, it's not the amount of screen time as much as it is uh, how how uh, bold kids are to be mean uh, and how the more venomous the words, the more viral it becomes. And complete strangers living in Switzerland, for example, nothing against the Swiss. I love them. Uh, But let's say I post a YouTube video and I'm 14 years old and some weird 50-something-year-old guy on the other side of the world says, go kill yourself. I think you're ugly. You literally just cracked my screen. You're a disgrace. Your mother must be ashamed. And he's a troll. You know, if a child doesn't have the emotional capacity to manage and navigate those uh, ridiculous comments, then they have no business being online. So I tell kids all the time, don't go. If you can't handle it, don't go. And I, I teach parents how, you know, take my test at brooksgibbs.com. Um, you're going to be able to see the 10 items and where they might be most vulnerable. Uh, if they're uh, on the low end, uh, do not let them go online until they can prove over time that they can be on the high end emotional resilient.
1: I was thinking when you were saying there about not appreciating the sunsets or the simple pleasures in life that used to be the pleasures in life. It's the same for us adults because we're living on screens, you know, the, the amount of times, you know, I'm sure I'm, I'm definitely guilty. I remember just looking at myself in the mirror, hard, you know, a hard look in the mirror about being with my kids and checking my email, for example, and being disappointed with myself and going, I'm not, you know, I'm training myself off that because so many of us do that and we are feeding the beast because they're growing up looking at us doing that.
0: Yeah, if I wanted to start a new career, I'd go into chiropractic or I'd be a chiropractor because we're all slouching and our, our neck is uh, protruding forward looking at our screens and monkey see, monkey do. Yes, uh, modeling is a, the highest form of learning. That's how they pick up our language by listening to us and watching us. That's how they learn how to walk. Um, and that's certainly going to be what what they value in life, whether it's kinesthetic uh, tools and, and stuff, building stuff and crafts, or electronic. So we have to be very, very careful. I have strict rules. I only allow my kids to be on. A, a, we call it electronics on Saturdays. Uh, we haven't had a TV ever since they were born. Um, so we are a very low tech uh, family. Uh, you know, I've got super high speed internet at in my office, and I have a whole TV studio. So I'm I'm highly advanced and electronics. But when we're at home, it's just not allowed except one day a week. And that includes any Nintendo stuff. Um, and so that forces me as a parent to to provide alternative um, entertainment uh, tools for them. Uh, so we subscribe to all kinds of like mail order um, uh, tinker crates that come in through the mail every week. Some new project comes in the mail that they could work with their hands uh, my wife, who is my hero, uh, will research what are some practical things that they could spend their time with. We do Legos, anything that would take time building. Um, we have to be really adamant. And we look at their friends who are total addicts to screen time, and they've got incredible attitudes. And we are swarmed with parents saying, how did you, how, how does your kid read 50 books a week which he does, I'm not exaggerating, 50 books a week, he blows my mind. He'll stay up till midnight reading. And I'll say, we just gave them great literature. Like, that was the only option that they had. Um, So we have to make a decision. What kind of kids we want to be raising? Uh, Addicts or uh, creatives? And so I choose creative.
1: Couple that with the emotional resilience that you're fostering in them and empathy and emotional intelligence. These are the human skills we need to navigate the future.
0: In fact, every leader that uh, has ever lived needed emotional resilience because they they made a decision. Half the population hated it and wanted to see them fall and fail and be demoted or dethroned, and yet they had to not live for the approval of others, but know that they were doing right according to their own convictions and move forward with absolute strength. Uh, so yes, it is a, a incredible thing, but not just that, not just the unpopularity of the leadership role, but if you're breathing, you're going to have challenges. Your, your lungs may not work. Uh, my wife, she's a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. She was 15 years old when she broke her neck and was paralyzed for the rest of her life. And she had a choice. Either I'm going to say, man, this sucks. You know, I'm profoundly disabled. I need help for the rest of my life to do everything. Or, or you know what? I'm still alive, and I'm going to find the good and the bad. And uh, it's not ideal, but there's got to be some benefit um, to the struggles I'm going through. And, and that was the one thing that really attracted to my uh, me to my wife because I realized, dang, this girl's so strong. She's so happy, yet she's so profoundly disabled. Um, I cannot believe she's not allowing her circumstances to dictate her happiness. And, and that was so attractive to me. And I had parents that divorced when I was three and my dad remarried four times and I had five different stepmoms. And, and I was like, man, I know if I marry this girl, she's willing to get through tough times and not throw in the towel because she's proven that she's a resilient individual. Um, so we learn to appreciate disabilities, appreciate letdowns, appreciate uh, traumatic events that happen. We wish we it didn't, but we're not gonna. We're gonna squeeze every bit of value that life has to offer in every difficulty that life throws our way. That's the mindset we must have if we're gonna be happy in this challenging life.
1: Man, that is so awesome. And and one last question for you, Brooks, which is uh, to elaborate a little bit on the golden rule. I mentioned that in the introduction, and I'm sure some of our audience are wondering what that is. Well, the golden rule is the original
0: social and emotional learning instruction Ever devised by man. And man, uh, some people would say it came from God. The old Hebrew uh, law that said, love your neighbor as you love yourself um, is a is a, in a sense, very much like what we call the golden rule today. Uh, Treat others the way you want to be treated is how we use it. Uh, it says nothing about deity, nothing about God. Even though Jesus taught it, he wasn't the only one that taught it. Every religion in the world, even atheists, love the golden rule. And it simply means this. No matter how you treat me, that's the key. No matter how you treat me, I am going to treat you the way I want to be treated. And if you geek out on the golden rule, you could hear the assumption that they're treating you in a way that you do not want to be treated. So it's a, it's a, it's a response to a negative uh, social interaction. If, if, The golden rule was saying be nice to nice people, it would say treat others the way they treat you. But that's not what the golden rule says, which means it teaches us to be nice to mean people. It says treat others the way you want to be treated, assuming that they're treating you in a way you don't want to be treated. And so how do I want to be treated? I want to be treated like a friend. So really we we remix the golden rule and we teach our children this. We treat everyone, even our enemies, like friends. We don't want to be friends with them, but we're friendly to them. And as we're friendly to them, They have a hard time staying me because when you treat them like a friend, as Abraham Lincoln said, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Going full circle now, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to treat others like friends, even though they're treating me like an enemy, I have to be emotionally resilient. I cannot live out the golden rule if I keep taking their mean words to heart. So that's why I always teach emotional resilience first, followed by... The strategy of the golden rule. So I guard my heart from their mean words, but I I have a very specific strategy for how I'm going to respond to people the way I want.
1: Brilliant, Brooks. And where can people find out more? Because I'm sure there's lots of parents that listen to the show. And I think it's important to say, man, this isn't just for parents. I mean, it's one of the reasons I reached out for you. I recognize so many of these bullying or aggressor, I should say, tactics that are used in the workplace. I mean, people are aggressed in the workplace all the time and they don't know how to deal with it. They might leave. And a lot of innovators, a lot of people who are implementing change because they're changing the status quo. Therefore, they're treated differently and they're aggressed. So where can people find out more about your work?
0: You bet. They can go to raisethemstrong.com. I have an online training program with about seven different uh, training videos for uh, situational challenges like cyberbullying or verbal insults or social exclusion. And then I have uh, an adult training version that comes as a bonus to that program. So raisethemstrong.com. If they want to take a test to see how emotionally resilient they are, then go to my website, brooksgibbs.com. And it is a human nature issue. In fact, I'd say about 25% of my audience don't even have kids. Uh, But they love the way I teach. I keep the cookies on the bottom shelf, so it's easy to understand, you know. (laughs) I could get complicated, but I try to keep it simple since I teach kids. And I get a lot of emails all the time from adults saying thank you for keeping it simple. So uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's
1: been an absolute pleasure. Brooks Gibbs, award-winning social skills educator. Thanks for joining us.
0: My pleasure.